Hello, I'm Lawrence, and this is our roundup of our favourite films of 2021. It's been quite a year, full of love, hate, horror, and glorious intoxication on and off the big screen. Stay tuned as later in the week we'll be releasing our worst films of 2021. We don't know what we're doing, we're just talking about films, and films are better than people. So, it's that time of the year again, as in right at the beginning of it, where we get to, you know, readjust back to normal life, you know, take down the Christmas tree, recover from the various hangovers, and sort of think about what have we taken from 2021 in terms of the, you know, the world of film and everything. No one's drinking alcohol over January, no one's eating meat. No, exactly. Um, so yeah, everyone's sort of taking Everyone's a... poor, no one's got any money yeah. to, to go to see any films, so why not think about watching some old films mm. instead? And reflect on the, on the previous year. Exactly, a perfect thing to do. Yeah. Um, and that's what we're going to do. And that's what we're going to do, and uh, as all kind of film critics sort of do, uh, because we know that you guys are all very, very busy. I'm sure that we could have two very long lists, but we've got three films each uh, that are some of the best of the year. They're not in any particular order, I'd say. Uh, for me, I don't know about you. Yeah, Sam. mine's 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 a top three. Yours mine's, is a top yeah, three. Yep. Yeah, okay. I have a best film of the year. I have a second best film of the year. And I have a third best film of the year, which it, is why a list works. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm just free forming it. All right, I'm not like the other critics. All right, okay. I, I'm not sure if I could quite at the end of the day, you know, really put mine in, in any particular order. But you know, what whatever. Okay, what we'll do is you'll talk about your your three best and your three worst, and then after that, I'll try and push you on an answer. Okay. I'll try and get it out of you. Or I can even be the judge. I could say, you like that the best, based on your review. I think that's a really good idea, actually. A- an objective observer that can almost pick for me. That's actually a real weight off of me. Uh, we also just want to give a quick little birthday shout-out to Lizzie Bennett, uh, who is one of our most dedicated listeners. Thank you for, you know, being our sister's friend. You know, she needs them. I, I hear you had an awesome night out. I want, I want, so we want to give a shout-out. Yeah, out. happy birthday, pal. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, happy birthday, Lizzie. Uh, thanks for continuing to, to, to listen to us and our various film rambles. So, we're going to ping-pong it. We're going to have a, have a turn each. Yep. Uh, do you want to go first? No, or, you go first. You, you yep. want me to go first? Yep. Yep. All right. Uh, this, is our, this is our best of the year. Uh, you can continue on listening to for the, the next episode. is going to be the worst of the year. So, the, the first film that I want to talk about is a film called The Nest. This was a film released close to the beginning of the year. It's our, uh, Jude Law as Rory O'Hara. Uh, and he is a British trader and kind of general entrepreneur um, who's living in America, and he's got an American wife, uh, played by Carrie Coon, and then a stepdaughter and a son that he's uh, had with um, his his uh, wife as well. The story is about is that he becomes quite restless in America, trading for himself, so he moves the family back to... Uh, England so that he can work in his old firm under his old boss with his old friends in the 1980s London uh, when everything's taking off and basically they move into a big mansion just outside of London and each of the members of the family um, have their own kind of trials and sort of tribulations as Rory and his family's world starts to kind of completely unravel with these changes. Things have dried up here for me. Oh, 
there's an opportunity. Where? London. This would be our fourth move in ten Turn years. backwards. But money's fine, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. This is a fresh start. Is it? The reason I picked this, I mean, this is the a follow-up film from a film uh, maker called Sean Durkin, who is uh, directed a film called Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene. Uh, quite a few years ago, he's not the pr- most prolific filmmaker, but it was a film I really, really enjoyed, and I was really excited to see this. It's an incredible achievement in film because I think it just do- seems to do so much in in the space that it has. Uh, it's sort of a ghost story, them inhabiting this mansion, and you're not really sure e- exactly if there's something kind of. But super- actually, a ghost story. Well, which it, made that clear. It's it's less of a ghost story. It's it, not- well, it's a lot of different things. I think. I mean, it, it's it's a little bit. It could be a ghost story it's a family drama you know definitely primarily but it's also kind of parable about the 80s and it's all rolled into one it's, it's amazing each member of the family you you're given enough time with to get us a feeling of who they are and how the move back to england uh, changes them and pushes them to their edge but definitely the most fascinating character is rory played by jude law who's an amazing actor i, I, I don't think he's always the most like prominent in the in the film industry even though i still consider him, him an a-lister but he's actually such a consistently brilliant actor, and he just seems to keep on putting out good work all the time. I mean, he he plays the role with such subtlety and range, but he has to push himself to every single emotion. And I think that might be the real power of this film, that we get to experience all these different emotions, betrayal, loss, ambition, joy... And, and Manipulation all, as well. Manipulation, yeah. All these really rich things, but they never overdo it. It's always in a perfect tone it always feels really consistent throughout it's beautifully shot throughout lots of dusks and dawns and natural light and they capture that kind of sepia 80s feel as well the, the things are really interesting the family drama there's definitely a lot of love in the family but they're really really tested and i think whether or not they can remain a family and how far you can push a family is really kind of embedded in this and 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 whether and how how much it can it constrain i can't emphasize enough how much is going on here as well in this film and i I think that was what was so fascinating about it It was so rich and ultimately as well it's about the 80s rory almost brings with him the ambition from the united states and brings it to england and he he's he very much wants to kind of export what he what he felt was was an american idea to England but in that at the same time he kind of exposes all of the excesses of the 80s and the extremes of it and how it changed things and not always for the better and how empty it is and how empty it is yeah because it's like all all this wealth and excess that he has doesn't make him happy doesn't make his family happy in fact it makes them all pretty much clinically depressed yeah I might be making the film sound like a bit of a drag but it's just really not Sean Durkin is clearly a filmmaker that can do so, so much with so little. It, it is a heavy film in, in, in some ways, but it's just full of so much vibrancy and full of... There are so many things going on that it's it's just one of... One of several films, I would say, this year that, that will, will, will get into your head and will stay there and we'll, we'll keep on churning around, and you'll keep on thinking about it, thinking about it. It's on Netflix it now. It is on Netflix, yeah. It's now been released on Netflix, so it's a, it's a really worthwhile watch. And also, I would say that I don't think I've seen it on everybody's 
best of lists. But even though I think I definitely agree with a, a lot of the films on there, um, I just really couldn't resist putting this putting this in there, you know, over some of the others that, that also have stuck with me. Um, there was something just really, really special about The Nest, and I really hope that Sean Durkin doesn't take the same amount of time that he did between Martha Marcy May Marlene and uh, The Nest because he's a he's a really special talent. What is happening? You're all strangers to me right now, all of you. You're embarrassing. And you're exhausting. Yeah, well, I have to say, uh, number three for me in my list was really difficult to choose because I definitely knew what was my number two and my number one. Yeah. But I was like, what can I put on to, like, number three? Because I want to give out shouts to In the Earth, Supernova, Nomadland, and Sound of Metal, all really, really great films, oh, all yeah. unique in their own way, you know, covering a range of different subjects. And yeah, they were, they were really strong. But my number three is actually a documentary, uh, Four Hours at the Capitol which is uh, directed by Jamie Roberts. And uh, basically, this documentary follows the events of January the 6th, 2021, with the invasion of the Capitol building in Washington from protesters at Donald Trump's Stop the Steal rally. And here's a clip. January 6th started off pretty much like any other day. It wasn't until I started listening to the speeches that I felt that day was going to be a bad day. You have to show strength, and if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. Yeah, so I think you kind of get an idea from that clip about the animosity, the terror, um, and the violence that was involved in um, in the events of that day. Yeah. And I just think this documentary is, is technically really, really brilliant. The thing that I really like about it is that it, well, it is a bit cliched, but you sort of you do feel like you're taking part in what is happening during that during that time. From yeah. the protesters going to the Capitol building, getting past the police and the security, getting into the Capitol building, kind of roaming around, you know, vandalising the place, um, and also the violence that ensued on the day, like the the many police officers that were injured and had to go to hospital, the uh, female protester that was killed while she was in the building. And, yeah, you're kind of introduced to a range of different characters, most of them uh, right-wing <laughs> terrorists. <laughs> uh, and I think what's good about the documentary is that you really kind of get the sense of how terrifying and almost kind of brainwashed these people are. Um, and the fact that they would want to come and talk to a documentary maker that's going to sort of expose them and show them for what they are is uh, is is kind of really bizarre. But yeah, these not I mean, if it, you not if you know Trump supporters, you know there, there's there's something almost in kind of the new wave of of populism that's been around since well it's been it's been boiling for a while, but primarily since like 2016 we've seen more of it. There's something about I think their attitude where they don't quite take anything seriously but they also take everything seriously uh and that kind of self-righteous belief is uh bordering on the religious so in some ways it's not surprising they want to you know if someone wants to sit down and talk to them about you know these things that they're like great i want on record how much of a crusader for the god emperor i was yeah it's sort of exemplified by um one of the protesters who starts handing around spliffs like in the middle of the Capitol building, <laughs> and he kind of just feels like it's a moment to get really, really high. After, yeah, you know, 
pushing, you know, causing insurrection and, um, you know, pushing his way through past all these attacking police. And there he is in this middle of this kind of like really beautiful, pleasant building with, you know, centuries of history. And yeah, there he is just, just getting high. Just blazing. Yeah, just almost like completely delusional. It's but it's all part of it because it's also that sense of humour of like, like I invade the Capitol building and I smoke to join. He's, he's, almost, he's doing it for almost for the internet clout as much as anything else. But the fact that they managed to get this footage, I think is pretty outstanding to be honest. It is. Because it's, it's kind of... As it is with documentaries, it's interviews and it's actual footage of protesters and independent observers in the Capitol building. But yeah, you get even um, the moment when one of the protesters is shot. Uh, you even get that moment. I don't think they quite show it. I think there is a bit of a cutaway. But yeah, it's it's amazing the footage that they've got and the, the research they've done into it. Uh, it's just... It, it's stunning. I've actually seen it twice now. Oh, yeah? Um, and I think it gets better on a second watch just because... There are so many moments that you can hardly believe that you kind of have to go back to watch it a second time and just be like, did, did, did that actually happen? Um, and I think when a documentary does that, it's it's always going to stay in your mind and and over time just become even more extraordinary. And yeah, Four Hours of the Capital is on BBC iPlayer. Yeah, so you again, can anybody can access it. It's going to be there for, for over a year. And for me, I think it's going to be the best documentary about one of the most controversial days in the history of the United States. It's a it's a it's a really uh, fascinating documentary into a moment that was the, the, almost the pinnacle of the madness of the Trump presidency, and to to capture that and to and to really capture that moment and get r- really in there, I, I think demonstrates how much uh, the United States is really tearing itself apart politically. It's such an intense and fascinating watch that 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 that's a really important moment for our times, and it's it it's really worth a look. I've been a police officer for two decades. A mob grabbed him. He was having difficulty breathing. You don't have to take my word for it. Watch my body-worn camera footage. Peaceful patriots. Started getting tased at the base of my skull. Very frightening situation. Kill him with his gun. Pure chaos. He has raised his edge. Heart attack. Traumatic brain injury. Take away their weapon. I just I still haven't made sense of it. The next film I want to talk about is Censor. It's also like my last, the last film, set in the 80s. Uh, it's about Edith, played by Neve Algar, who as a child suffered the, the loss of her of her sister, uh, who disappeared uh, mysteriously while they were playing in the woods. Um, she's grown up to be a film censor working for the BBFC uh, in the 1980s, where she sees a lot of video nasties. Uh, these like extreme horror films uh, that were made for a low budget that were very popular in the 80s. She comes across uh, one such video nasty that she thinks uh, reminds her of her uh, sister and the disappearance of her sister. And she goes on a quest to try and find out more about this film and the director behind it. This depiction is dangerous. Come on, ain't it? I'm cutting it. Butchery, sadism, murder. A wave of depraved and corrupt horror video. Confusing fiction with reality. Doug Smart, producer, high-dent investment films. Maybe you could watch my latest Frederick North submission. Wanted a woman's eye on this film.
So this is the first feature film by Prano Bailey Bond. Uh, we did make a podcast episode about this. The, the, the reason I think I've, I've put it as my one of my favourites is that this was a year that I really wanted to watch more horror films. And I uh, maybe didn't watch as much as, as, as I should have done, but I certainly got quite a few under my belt. And I think this was the the best thing I... Not, not just like w- within that like one of my favourite horror films, things that i saw this year it is definitely one of the best films i've seen this year it, it is a horror film but it's it uh, but it's but it's razor sharp not just as a horror film but also in filmmaking as well it's uh doesn't rely on many jump scares it just really gets under your skin with with a really unnerving kind of clever concept that's also deeply rich in in satire about moral panics and the film industry as well. There, there are all these really simple techniques that Prana Bailey Bond uses um, to keep you on the edge of your seat, and you don't really know what's coming around the corner. Um, but when it when it comes, it's it's really shocking, but really satisfying at the same time. Like this is just a a really wonderful slice of of British horror, and I can't recommend it enough it's it's a must-see for like horror nuts but i think especially if you haven't been scared in a in a cinema in a while it's a a really good chance to to see this like new wave of of horror that's coming out and uh hopefully we're going to see a lot more of this kind of stuff coming out in the industry as well i don't think it's a scary film to be honest uh i think obviously there's something that we talked about um maybe in that review i sort of did say it was scary but i think as it's resonated more and more it, it's more I think it's less of a horror film and you're more of a statement of the times I mean interesting this is your second film that you've picked from the 1980s yeah so um, bit of a fever there yeah I, I think it says a lot about the yeah the moral panics of the of the 80s of the video nasty genre of you know the exploitation of women um, in horror as well yes there's a lot going on in it it's a fascinating piece just don't know how much of a horror film it is even though it's about kind of the horror genre which is kind of strange and just to even sort of hear myself say that makes me think, okay, this is actually like a really interesting film and one of the more unique British films that's come out in the past few years. I mean, I found it very frightening, but I think that line between... But without getting into a big genre de- debate, I, I know what you mean. I think that line between something being unnerving or frightening and how much you want to say that... It, how much the psychological has an effect on that. Like, Because I think the film is a lot about the, the, the psychological effects of a lot of the the things that the characters have had to experience you know the the journey that she goes on is it more of a horror or a thriller i don't know I, to be honest I, I i'm not sure it really matters to me that much where you want to put this film it's it's just an it's just a really incredible ride i think particularly like towards the end where almost without noticing the screen starts to shrink down to kind of like VHS size and the film starts to become like a video nasty as well. It, it happened so subtly. It, it, is al- it almost felt to me like there were there were hands like kind of creeping onto my shoulders while I was sitting in the chair in the cinema as well. There was something just so... There were, there were so many kind of moments like that and I never... <laughs> I never really felt safe. And I'm a, I am a big scaredy cat anyway when it comes to horror movies. This movie didn't like just try and make me jump it, it just got it just really got under my skin and i think that's a, in a really good way in a really really good but way. i think the way you're talking about it it sounds like a real cinema experience i don't know how much that would translate to watching it on a tv no i think it would still translate i definitely think it would <gasps> I, I mean i, I think know, but the way the way that you talk about yeah. it in that audiovisual sense of the yes. fact is 
that you're in this you know dark room surrounded like by other people that kind of adds to the atmosphere and actually I think once you know what's going to happen and kind of once you know of the almost like the DNA of the film what mm. it's actually trying to say then yeah I don't know whether how scary that would be in in, in your own home but um well I guess if you haven't seen it you guys are going to be the guinea pigs for it because you you you'll only it's not in cinemas anymore you'll only be able to watch it at home so I guess you guys are going to be the uh the, the the test audience for that I mean I think I will watch it again at some point but I have to get my nerves steely enough to watch these horror films the first time I'm not always sure if I want to like dip back in for the second one right away but no it's wonderful I, I think of all the films on my list i think this is the film that people are going to come back to the most and talk about the most and i think is gonna really live on and i think that's really really special yeah it'd be great to see what prano bailey bond does next as well i can't wait i can't wait i'll be gonna be first in line and i uh said that to her actually because she i was very lucky and she was at the screening of the film that i watched and i managed to catch her on the way out and say like i can't wait to see what you do next which in retrospect i kind of feel like a bit bad about because I feel like she would have worked so hard to get to this point. She probably just wants to enjoy this moment. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I absolutely can't wait to see what she does next. There's this actress. I've got this feeling that's Nina, my sister. What's next on your list? Yeah, so my number two uh, second best film of the year for me was Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, which was released last spring. It takes place over the late 1960s in Chicago, where the leader of the Illinois chapter of the Black Panthers, Fred Hampton, is persecuted by the FBI and local Chicago police force. William O'Neill is recruited by the FBI to inform on Hampton so he can avoid a lengthy prison sentence. You're looking at 18 months for the stolen car, five years for impersonating a federal officer, or you can go home. The Black Panthers are forming a rainbow coalition of oppressed brothers and sisters of every color. Their aim is to sow hatred and inspire terror. Okay, so yeah, as you heard, that is Lake of Stanfield playing William O'Neill and uh, Daniel Kaluuya playing Fred Hampton. And uh, Daniel Kaluuya won a Oscar. Uh, best Supporting Actor. Mm. Kind of a shame. I think it was one of those situations with the Oscars where they were only going to ever nominate one of Lake of Stanfield and Daniel Kaluuya. And they went for Kaluuya, but I think both of them were absolutely amazing. And yeah. um, and even uh, Dominique Fishback, who played Deborah Johnson, who was Fred Hampton's girlfriend and um, the mother of his child. It's a, it's a really extraordinary film. And when I went to see it, I was just really impressed by lots of different components of it. I think a lot was to do with the editing and the cinematography. So um, Sean Bobbitt, um, who's the cinematographer, who's a British uh, cinematographer actually, but he's done lots of different films over the years. But I really sort of found the, the way that the camera moves in this just absolutely sensational. And I think as well, like, when you're watching it, you don't realise at first that you're watching a war film. Um, and that's what it felt like to me, and I think that's what was really impressive. There's a shootout at the Black Panthers chapter office, and the way that that shot, it feels like an overseas battle, like something that you'd see in Vietnam or Korea or something like that. And this, you know, this was happening in the United States in the late 1960s is 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 really really amazing it's also a film a lot about paranoia it's obviously a, a film about the security services 
tapping up and murdering the civil rights movement. Mm. Um, Fred Hampton, as the leader of the Black Panthers, he would go around and he would give free education, or he, the Black Panthers themselves would give free education to African Americans and also free food as well. Um, they worked with other community groups in the area who were also suffering and living in poverty. So actually, like I think what the film really shows is how the uh, the Black Panthers are doing was actually sort of very progressive in a way and mm. um, performing the role that the state wasn't um, and even to this day sometimes the state doesn't do but it's also the balance of politics but the fact that it's like a police informant film as well yeah. because that's almost like a subgenre of a cop film right that police informant the one who's kind of undercover Yeah. so you've got that aspect of the film as well you've also got uh, Jesse Plemons playing the cop who uh, recruits Lake of Stanfield I and love Jesse of, Plemons yeah. he's, he's amazing I think he either plays quite humble down to earth people or really evil, vicious characters. And this is one of his more evil and vicious roles, really. Yeah. I think he kind of is a bit of a father figure to Lake of Stanfield, or that's the way that you're, you went to see that sort of relationship. But you can see how much power he has over him. And yeah, I mean, I guess the film wouldn't work if you didn't believe that William O'Neill was going to be an informant and help in the murder of Fred Hampton. Yeah. Part of that is because of the relationship that he has with Jesse Plemons. And yeah, it was pretty shocking, but again, like a like a really amazing aspect of it. I just really liked the, the, the fusion of it being a bit of a war film, a bit of a neo-noir, like a police informant film. There was so much that I really, really liked about it, and... It was the. It's only the second film that Shaka King has directed, and again, it's just absolutely phenomenal. I mean, the first film he did before that was a completely different genre. I think it was more of a a comedy or a drama, and he's done a lot of TV. But this is the first like feature length film or feature length film of this budget that he's made, and it's absolutely astonishing. And it's something that I haven't revisited, but I'd really, really like to because the way it was technically, the performances in the film, the way it's directed, the action, the rhythm, and the pacing of it, it was just. It was it was a masterpiece for me, and um, yeah, I I really hope that it's one of those films that is kind of revisited in the next few years. Since its release, I don't think maybe there's been like huge acclaim for it. I mean, what you were mentioning previously about seeing the nest in like a top ten of other critics. Yeah, I haven't really seen this film uh, in in a top ten list. Oh, really? But yeah, I, as soon as I saw it, I knew it was going to be one of the year's best. Yeah, I went to see this as well. It's a really fascinating portrayal of someone that I didn't really know very much about. I think it's a very timely film with Black Lives Matter as well. A lot of people are reevaluating what black people have to go through every day and they look back at the civil rights movement almost to kind of motivate themselves on. It was interesting to me as well because the the Black Panthers have always really been sort of portrayed as, as obviously a very militant group and a very hostile group but it's very interesting to see this side of them particularly interesting to see fred hampton who was interested in social change he wasn't a figure of rage you know he was a figure that wanted to see community and uh, social justice and he wanted to give the african-american people the f- uh, and and everyone in an underclass, I think. I think that was the most interesting thing to me as well, the way that he kind of reached across the aisle almost to these to, to the white working class, um, even though that those were the very people that kind of uh, despised him and would have been maybe part of, like, uh, supremacist groups. He, he, wanted to, he, he wanted to join together to see social, you know, to, to make a better world for everybody. But there's this sense of injustice that the government of the time 
was out to to really smash this descent and yeah. and they is, murdered him because and they murdered him and it's only really in the recent decades where we've, where we've really understood the FBI the security the, services the the role that the FBI and yeah the other and uh, yeah other members of the security services and the secret service had a role in trying to you know destroy these these people who had very noble aims and i think it's really sad and shocking but but it's but it's an incredible experience plus it's got some great people i mean i said jesse plemons is a person i love to watch but also daniel kalua uh, and lakeith stanfield who just can't put a foot wrong he's just amazing and he's did so many brilliant things it's 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 really excellent and I think actually, like the the way that Kalia just brings that gravitas to the character, because I think it's important to state that actually there are some really sort of beautiful, sensitive bits with him and Deborah Johnson, yeah, uh, who uh, Dominique Fishback plays. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what's so sad in the end, really, when you see him sort of murdered in cold blood, because you know this is someone who, as he said, like was a was a huge like political figure, and yeah, was probably ahead of his time in terms of um, in terms of politics and. Yeah, the legacies he's left is amazing, but that's all wrapped up within this film. And as I say, I think it will stand the test of time. I will learn all that I can. These ain't no terrorists. You can murder a liberator, but you can't murder a liberation. You can murder a revolutionary, but you can't murder a revolution. And you can murder a freedom fighter, but you can't murder freedom. It's really interesting that we've both picked the the first two films. Like both of yours were quite political. Both of mine were in the eighties, and both of our second picks are films we think are are, are the films that we think are going to kind of stand the test of time. There's a kind of a, a weird kind of uh, parallel there. Yeah, I mean, I think all your favourite films of the year should be ones that you think you know could compete in in any year. Really, yeah, it's not they they aren't films that are just going to be like the flavour of the month. No, you're um, absolutely right. You're absolutely right. They, that, that's a really important distinction. It's it's something that you... I once heard the idea that a, a classic is something that you can come back to again and again and again and see something different. And one of the great things about loving films is that there's always going to be half a dozen films like that that are released each year. Which brings us on to your final film. My final film, uh, which, you know, I, I think this is going to be a little controversial for some people... Uh, but that's also maybe the reasons why it's controversial is also maybe one of the reasons I've picked it. Uh, the final film I want to talk about is Palm Springs. Yes, another <laughs> film that we've talked about. So if you want a, you know, a more expansive look on Palm Springs, then um, revisit one of our earlier episodes. Exactly. So uh, Palm Springs is uh, about uh, Niles, played by Andy Samberg, who is stuck in a time loop. At a wedding, he's going out with someone that he doesn't really like very much, um, who's there as part of the wedding party. Uh, so he's not particularly uh, important to the wedding, uh, but nevertheless, uh, he's uh, stuck in a time loop, which means he lives the same day over and over again. Uh, whenever he goes to sleep or dies, um, he reverts right back to the point at the beginning of the day where where he wakes up. He meets uh, Sarah, uh, played by Kristen Milotti. And uh, they're going to have a one-night stand at the wedding when Sarah follows him into the same portal uh, that caused the time loop in the first place. And suddenly, they're stuck together in this time loop together, and they form a friendship and a bit of a romance as well. 
as they try and navigate uh, life, existence, and whether or not they can get out of this bloody, endless uh, Groundhog Day. It's going to be a beautiful wedding. Good day so far? Today, tomorrow, it's all the same. You, what is going on? Hey, get out of the water, girl! Guess you followed me. It's one of those infinite time loop situations you might have heard about. That I might have heard about? Yeah. So now what do we do? You just have to embrace the fact that nothing matters. Do you sleep with people in here? Great question. I have, but it takes a lot of work. May I cut in? It's the first dance. And that's a deal breaker. Let's waste some time. Palm Springs is is a wonderful film. It's it's essentially a it's like a science fiction romantic comedy, but uh, neither the science fiction or the romance is is shallow at all. I think that the places they explore, just the concept of the time loop, is really well defined, and then the the romance as well is really believable and engaging and and, and charismatic. And I think. The, those two kind of join together because I think science fiction is like a, a a futuristic concept that kind of tells us something about today. And I think romance often in films also is supposed to tell you about the important things in life. Um, but ultimately, that's what the film is about as well. It's also about the kind of the important things in life and what makes up a life. And, the, you know, it, it never loses those edges about it that give it that um, give it some depth. But at the same time, it is just really, really funny. Um, the characters are like really watchable, and the the places they visit, it's not all it's it's not all like knee slappingly funny. Um, some of the elements of it are really dark. In fact, a lot of it is is really quite dark. But it's also kind of like um, goofy as well. And I guess at the end of the day, I couldn't live with myself if I didn't put this in as one of my favourite films, is because it's just kind of got something for everyone. Like I, I feel like I think accessible is a word. Accessible that you in a not a uh, not patronising way. It's and in in a film where and I and I think I'm going to get on to this in the next episode. In a, in a year where actually I felt like there weren't a lot of big, where I think we struggled with big bigger films and broader films. This was something that actually really stood out from the pack. Uh, I think it's really really special when you can show a film to anyone. And everyone's going to get something out of it. You don't feel like you're watching something stupid. You don't feel like you're wasting your time or, or, or you know, anything's being dumbed down. But at the same time, you, you could watch this with your significant other or your or, or your parents or your, you know, or, or a group of friends or just on your own. And you're going to, you, you're always going to get something out of it. It's a sweet, romantic, really dark existential science fiction romantic comedy. I, I just don't think I'm going to see another film like this in a really long time. And that wait, makes it so wait, special. Wait, 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 wait. You said, I remember when we talked about this in the podcast, I said, it's weird, you don't always get time loop films. And you said, actually, there's loads more time loop films than you actually think yes, they are. There so is. I think you are going to see, <laughs> there will be more time loop films, yeah, but be not more... one this good. No, there are going to be more time loop films, but not films that do everything that I just talked about. And and give you such an amazing, such a wonderful, a wonderful uh, accessible experience that you 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 never feel stupid for liking. This is also uh, the first feature 
to be written by Max Barbacow and to be written by Barbacow and Andy Ciara. I'm not even sure if they're going to necessarily strike gold twice. I'm really excited to see what they what they make next. But there's something about it that seems even even more special. Is that I'm not really sure what they're what they're going to do next. But this is the thing: is that I could see Prano Bailey Bond making another really great horror film, and I could see Sean Durkin making an, another great whatever he makes. Right? Um, I've I've every faith after making this film. I'm sure they're going to make something wonderful. But I just it's hard for me to imagine anyone hitting the sweet spot quite like Palm Springs does. And uh, that's why I just had to put it in this list. Yeah, I think it is my favourite part of this film is J.K. Simmons. Oh, he's wonderful. Just an love amazing him. cameo. Love him, um, love him, love him. Yeah, just if you want to make your film better, just put J.K. Simmons in it. That's one of the rules of, of modern cinema. But um, yeah, yeah, I think um, I don't think I liked it as much as you. No, yeah, I wouldn't no, have even considered this as putting it in the uh, in my top ten, to be honest. But um, yeah, I think there is something kind of genuinely funny and charismatic about it. I think those two of them, Andy Samberg and uh, Chris- Christine Milotti, like, yeah, they've got great chemistry, um, and I think they're able to have uh, they're able to bounce off each other in a really good way. And I guess you know that central construct of those two, if if that doesn't work or there's no chemistry, the whole film falls apart. So yeah, that's that's a really strong element. And yeah, I mean. It's obviously like a, a really clever um, idea, and it is a lot about the the world we're living in at the moment, and maybe what like the millennial struggles really, which mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think uh, obviously we can just about relate to. Mm. But um, yeah, no, I, I think it's um, it's definitely a good rom com. They, yeah. they don't come around very often. No, but but I don't want to missell this. I'm not kind of sentimental about it it's just a really well-made uh, rom-com and i you know they just don't come around that often anymore so you know that's why i just think it's so special i can't keep waking up in here everything that we are doing is meaningless i hope it's not all meaningless at least you have each other nothing worse than going through this shit alone Yeah, so my best film of the year is Another Round, which is directed by Thomas Vinterberg. Um, it's about four middle-aged friends, uh, and they commit to a social experiment to increase their alcohol consumption by 0.05% a day, based on a theory that this makes humans happier and more creative. Yeah, so the big, big star from this film, I'd say, is Mads Mikkelsen. Um, he's someone who's worked in the United States and the UK and Denmark, his, his, his country of birth. But... Yeah. Um, this is a really, really exceptional film. Um, I think it's delicate, unique, funny, uh, really melancholy, um, and life-affirming as well. When you when you go into it, I kind of think you feel like it's going to be a bit of a broad comedy. Yeah. But actually, it's saying much more than that, really. I think it's obviously about men having midlife crisis, but also like male camaraderie. Because I don't think you really get too many films that do that really, really well. I mean, I think it reminds me a little bit of Sideways, just because, again, it's like, alcohol too like and or sideways is about sort of two men going through a midlife crisis or going through you know crises of their of their own making yeah um and this is kind of quite similar in a way but i just think that the reason why it's my like my best film of the year 
Um, it's just because the soul of it, really. Um, I think all the, these four men, they all go, and their relationship with alcohol, they all go through different journeys with it. And uh, it all kind of slowly does destroy them because what happens is that after having a certain amount, I think after going on to that 0.05% where their lives do improve, yeah, uh, they then push it more and more and more. And then they end up sort of destroying their own livelihoods. Um, which is kind of funny, but also quite traumatic as well. Yeah. And yeah, not all of them end up in a good place. I think my favourite scene from this film is, it's actually a really simple scene, but it's between um, Mads Mikkelsen, who plays Martin, um, and his wife, who is uh, uh, Marie Bonnevie, and she plays Anika. And they've been struggling for quite a while, and then he kind of, when he starts uh, taking this like small amount of alcohol per day, which kind of improves his mood and, and makes him more of a positive person. Mm. He, you know, they're getting on really well. They, they make love for the first time in ages. He's getting like he's much more engaged with the family. Mm-hmm. It's really really nice. But then, yeah, he, as he drinks more, he becomes more angry, becomes more destructive, and he you know he he ends up you know ruining that um, that home life that he 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 sort of really craved. And they split up. Um, and he and he's kind of estranged from the family. And there's a scene between those two in a bar. And again, it's it's a scene that you would have seen in in hundreds of different films. You know, a, a couple who are struggling with um with you know with their relationship, and they don't know whether they're going to stay together. They don't know whether they're going to they're going to reconcile or whether they're going to just go their separate ways. But there is this this amazing sort of sensitivity and power to both their performances and. I just think it was a while that I'd like I'd had a scene that sort of took my breath away, really. And yeah, and for me though, the like the best part of it is is the ending. Because now <laughs> I'm struggling whether to go too much into the ending. Yeah, it's, but there is mm. like, like when you write when you see a film with an absolutely perfect ending, you just leave the cinema on a high. Yeah, and you just want to go and talk to people about it. And the way this film ends is just so beautiful, just so perfect. Yeah, just it's just absolutely scrawled. I guess we could say that it ended like in a bit of a dance number. Um, <laughs> and what a dance and number! What a dance number! What yeah. a dancer Mads Mikkelsen is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I think describing too much of it would take the the power away from the film. But yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it's just such an extraordinary and, and beautiful film, really. And yeah, really, really life affirming. I, I I just came out of the came out of the cinema just thinking differently, like about things and, and I think that's kind of the way that cinema can really affect you like that I think is, is really special so yeah I, mm. with, with another round there was I don't think there's another film that has, has got to me like it did and um, I, I actually even prefer the, the Danish title which is Druk which is uh, D-R-U-K yeah. which means binge drinking which uh. I think is like I'm going to try and find a poster with, with Druk on it oh really think, yeah that'll just you know that'll look a lot better I, I love this too I mean I'm really glad that we get to, I mean one of the the, the good things about this is that I I mean I think another round would have been in my list it's a really funny film as well because I actually ended up seeing it two years ago when it was at a the BFI film oh, festival right, yeah. in 2020 I ended up talking about it on the podcast last year and talking about it is one of my favorite things I've seen but really I think it, it, it only really got a general release this year you know this is again that the, the specter of covid how that's hanging over us as well but um yeah i mean i'd agree with all of that i think it's wonderful i think that it's it's it could only have been made i think by you know i think a, a scandinavian filmmaker as well i think that it, it, in american or british hands and you you can go back and listen to my solo podcast where i talk a bit about this but i think in american or british 
uh, hands it could have ended up being like a really fratty comedy um but i think they managed to capture the subtlety and the life-affirmingness of it and it could turn into a fratty comedy. It could have so turned. Apparently, Leonardo DiCaprio is going to star in the remake. Oh, um, are they remaking it? Well, I think he's been attached oh, to it, but gosh. you never know if they're going to make it or not. But um, that's what I'm afraid of. It'll start with Leonardo DiCaprio, and he's going to be attached to like a fairly good director, and then over the years, you know, you'll start to lose it, and you know, you'll get, you know, it'll get attached to. I don't know, Adam Sandler, and, you know, it's going to turn into a fratty, like, horrible... Or Will Ferrell. I mean, I could really see Will Ferrell doing something like this. Unless he wants to, like, do something like Will Ferrell wants to try and be more of a fesp or something and and do something... But anyway, yeah, back to another round. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting as well because, I I mean, there's, there's lots of things that the film does right, but it's interesting that you actually haven't talked about the film and its relationship to alcohol. And really, drugs, I, w- I would say, br- broadly speaking as well. I mean, it is about one particular drug, alcohol. But I mean, I, I think that the power of the, the film and is that alcohol is a drug that the vast majority of us have a relationship uh, with. And so I think that there was something in, in how they're th- th- these like like middle-aged guys being drunk. I think, you know, I think there's something funny in that because... You, you you kind of know that you've been there and you're going to be there again and there's a kind of sense of humor in, in seeing people in that kind of level of of mirth and over the topness that that comes with like drinking but also I, I think it's a it's a film that wants to, that, that doesn't want to tell you like a horror story or moralize to you it does show the darker elements of of when you you, you know use alcohol you know too much and you, you know the the real darker side of that but ultimately it want it, it actually wants to embrace our relationship with this and that, it, it doesn't ever really lecture you on what you should or shouldn't do but ultimately it's actually giving a really positive view of this of this thing and actually that's not something that i see very often i see it in a, a kind of fratty and an ugly way or i see it in like a really like dark way but i never see it as people just saying like this this can be a wonderful part of our lives and something that you know be, you know becoming intoxicated is part of the human experience and when you when you know when you get past all the the other bullshit like it is something that that the vast majority of it does does and when, when you do it right it's wonderful and i think for a film to really want to want to say that to you i think is, is really it's really great and actually i'd say really important because yeah. I think it's important to remember that you can have a positive relationship with alcohol and drugs. Yeah, and it's really brave and inspiring as well. I think the way they shoot those drunk scenes as well, because essentially, I mean, if you're going to make a film about alcohol, you need to make the drunk scenes really effective. And, yeah. And actually probably a little bit funny, because, yeah. you know, the vast majority of people have fun when they get drunk. And actually, it is shot really well. It's kind of very handheld, um, and yet, yeah, and very fluid. And yeah, I, I think that's, again, like a really good good and an interesting part of the film. I mean, I think it might be a good time just to say how amazing Danish cinema is, really. I mean, yeah. I think Denmark's like a population of about 4 million people or something like that. Really? And they've produced, like, Thomas Vinterberg, who directed this. Um, he won the Oscar for the Best Foreign Language Film. Like, Nick- Nicholas Reffin, Lars von Trier. Um, and, yeah, they're just... The way that this kind of small country has produced so many amazing filmmakers. And, yeah, I mean, for all those films that have come out in, in the United States and the UK, I think it's amazing that, you know, this this film from Denmark um, has made such a statement and, and is one that, yeah, I'm going to be, you know, always talking about and always recommending because I think it's an amazing piece of work and, yeah, um, another masterpiece. Don't know where I'm in 
So, um, what do you think was? What, where's your judgment lie? Where's, <laughs> what was your favourite? What was my favourite? Well, you had the Nest, Sensor, and Palm Springs. I mean, they're all like really different films. I think I would probably put it as. I think perhaps Sensor is number one. I think that might have been your favourite. Palm Springs number two and the Nest number three. I think Sensor, the way that you talked about it, is like a a, a cinema experience. Yeah. Um, the way that you're re- really forward to seeing what the director does next. I think that's um that's probably like oh that's what I think. You'll probably you, the edges it for you. Actually, I I think after w- waiting for your judgment on this, um, not to be contrary, but actually in talking about this, I wonder. I think maybe Palm Springs oh, is right, going to be yeah. my favourite out of all of the three. Um, and it, it's hard because, again, I, I think I... Sometimes when I listen to people talk about broad films, again, I don't want to make it come across as sentimental. Cause it, or like, this is just the film for the moment that made me feel really good. It's like, no, Palm Springs is an excellent piece of filmmaking. It's just a bit It's, it's just a bit for everyone. Like, it's just a bit broader. Like, and that's kind of something I like to see. All right, so we're basically telling you to have a double viewing of Another Round and Palm Springs. Absolutely. That's that is <laughs> that's an absolute winning combination because uh, it'll teach you about being in love with another person and being in love with a good, you know, stout drink as well. And what you know, what more could you ask for for for, for from an evening? Thank you so much for listening to Films Are Better Than People. Be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us on right now so you never miss an episode. We're on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts and SoundCloud. And don't forget to come follow us on Twitter at Films Are Better and like us on Facebook.com forward slash Films Are Better.